welcome to the Vast Institute's Taste of Original Thinking podcast. My name is Michelle Sherman, and we are here today to discuss how you can awaken the genius within uh, in a world that demands the best and most innovative solutions. On today's episode, we welcome Michelle Purnell Hepburn, a bold and enlightened voice on our quest for equity and justice, to discuss a topic near and dear to my heart, the Curly Girls Guide to Belonging. Today, we will explore how our hair is a perfect way to include ourselves, each other, and the world. But first, allow me to clarify. What is original thinking? It is a profound approach and gentle solution to what ails the world. It is a bold step on the path towards illuminated living. Original thinker Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems at the same level of thinking that created them. Well, we agree with Albert. Have you ever been stuck trying to um, solve an intractable difficulty in your life? Our minds are like rivers. They flow where they have been before. The Vast Institute coaching and curriculum liberates you from those unwanted eddies of life through the mastery of our competencies that promote clarity, confidence, and imagination. It elevates your level of thinking, and you can apply it to your world in wonderful ways to make it better, brighter, and more sparkly. Today, we welcome Michelle Purnell Hepburn, DEI Director at the beloved Seattle Foundation where she enriches skills and systems to support culture and community to nourish, sustain, and enhance racial equality and belonging. Michelle is a staunch advocate for serving under-resourced communities, as exemplified by her parents, James and Mardine Purnell, who in 1968 co-founded the first primarily Black-owned bank in Seattle, Washington. Her CV reflects a dedication to community service, excellence, and compassion through her finance mentoring, her community service, her, her equity and varied strategies, and many accolades, including the 2011 Nonprofit CFO of the Year for the Puget Sound Business Journal. And most recently, Michelle was honored as the recipient of the University of Washington Foster School Association of Black Business Students Spratton Legacy Award in recognition of an alumni making an impact on the African-American community. And as, as I want our listeners to know, Michelle possesses a magnificent set of curls. That is something we have in common. It led to our wanting to talk today about how the world is served by those of us who might be a little bit different and a little bit curly in the way they approach things. So with all of that, I would love to say welcome, Michelle. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. Good morning, Michelle, and I am so, so happy to be here. Well, thank you. Um, today's episode was inspired by some of the candid conversations that we've had um, about the difficulties encountered by people who might be a little bit eccentric, a little bit different. Uh, so first I'd like to ask this, I know that you do phenomenal work at the Seattle Foundation. Their vision to create a thriving region of shared prosperity, belonging, and justice, where all individuals and all communities have equitable access and outcomes, regardless of race, place, or identity. Please take a moment before we get into the curly girls, 
Tell us how your work at the foundation has expanded your sense of belonging. Working at the Seattle Foundation has been such a joy. It is a place of inclusion. It is the most diverse place I've ever worked. And so I have the extreme opportunity on a daily basis to interact with people from all walks of life, from many, many different cultures and creeds. It is a place that I want to encourage our colleagues and our fiscal partners to continue the ripple effects of what belonging can do. Because when one feels like one belongs, creativity sparks. We can do anything. We can solve anything. If we can make sure that everyone has a place at the table. That's, that's beautiful. And Michelle, I hear that there's an inclusion recovery fund right now, just as a specific example to our listeners as to what the Seattle Foundation is up to. Can you share a little bit about that? The Fund for Inclusive Recovery is uh, chapter two of our response to the COVID epidemic. We started the COVID-19 fund in March of 2020 and launched the Fund for Inclusive Recovery a year later, March of 2021. Why? Now that we have done our best to address the harm and the tragedy of COVID-19 to communities that are marginalized, now we need to make sure that those communities are supported to recover from this year long unprecedented time. That's exactly what you mean by shared prosperity and equitable access and equitable access and outcomes regardless of race, place, or identity. I love that. Yes, yes. This is our board's vision. The board adopted this in December of 2020. We have been on a long road of racial equity for a number of years and this vision just excites me it actually puts racial equity and belonging in the forefront of what we do michelle i'm not surprised to hear you say that because um, i've listened to you share a little bit about your family and their history and the part that they've played in the city of seattle in enriching this community would you honor us by sharing a little bit about, um, about them and about how you um, came to be the DEI director at the Seattle Foundation and what a legacy you've brought to that? James and Mardine Purnell came from humble beginnings, were part of the great migration out of the South, arriving here in Seattle during the war and were able to make a difference here in Seattle because they were dreamers. They were creators. Visionaries. They were visionaries. 
my father believed that black people needed access to capital in order to succeed and have their piece of the American dream. And in his lifetime, he started a credit union. And later with your on- your mom, Mardine was right in there with him. I saw the picture, it's beautiful. And with mom and nine other visionaries started Liberty Bank of Seattle, the first minority owned bank here in the Northwest and really west of the Mississippi, wow. which was astonishing for a minority population that was so small in such a predominantly white area of the United States. Right. Seattle was settled, from what I understand, by Scandinavian families, families from Boston. And so there were not a lot of African-American people here. There were indigenous people. Um, but the migration brought some great families. And we all know how enriched we've been by that. So uh, was that that was in response to redlining? I'm reading the book Cast right now by Isabel Wilkerson, and she's talking, the, the chapter that I'm on right now is about explaining it in graphic detail about redlining, and it seemed like this would be a, a brilliant solution to keeping people from owning property or having uh, belonging uh, to their neighborhoods, belonging to their uh, communities. Absolutely. We must remember that Liberty Bank was started in 1968. Civil the Summer Rights of Love. Act. Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act had just been passed in 64 and 65. Racial questioning, racial unrest was very large, unfortunately, as it is right now. And at the time, people of color just couldn't walk into a bank and get a loan for anything for a car, right. for a small business, for a home. You had to know somebody to know somebody to vouch for you. If you and were an African-American or a minority member of the community, okay. Right. So a group of visionaries uh, from different cultures came together to create Liberty Bank of Seattle. And that was a feat. And it took years of government saying no before government was willing to say yes. Right, regulatory paperwork, and but they did. And so when you talk about the uh, nine plus your parents, who, who among them, what type of group? It was, it was a mixed group of folks. It wasn't just people like people who just knew each other. There were people from the community. There were people from the religious community. There were people from the banking community. There were all sorts of, who were those folks? We love, they, they are such brave and wonderful people. They were engineers. They were pharmacists. They were small grocery store owners in the community. Uh, they were IRS auditors. They were my father, uh, who was at the time a credit union manager. They were from all walks of life. They just wanted to be able to have the same rights and privileges financially. Mm -hmm. 
an access than the dominant culture has. Right. But an so, so belonging is part of belonging is being able to access resources. Yes. And so that is that was what your parents did, and that's the beautiful legacy was they made it available to people who wanted to create a neighborhood, create a community, create something that enlivened and enriched themselves, their families, their children, their businesses, and they did whatever it took to make that happen. Bravo! I love it! I mean, I know, I, I, it's huge. I just want to acknowledge the courage and the beauty of it. And it took courage because so many doors were slammed in their faces. They were... What's the word? Well, let's just let's just be real. Our phone was tapped. Mm -hmm. People I, wanted we, to know what you were doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. So we grew up with extreme scrutiny. Uh huh. As and as a family. As a family, and number one, we owed it to the community. Mm -hmm. We. Lifting as we climb has been a motto in my family for as long as I could remember. And so we all knew that no matter how far we were able to climb, we needed to lift someone else up. And that's also part of belonging. Believing that it's not just about me, it's about who I helped. And, yeah, it's not a me, it's a we. And we... Um, I guess those are that just feels so much more like enjoyable when their their support, encouragement. One of the things that um, when you were kind enough to write the forward for modern urban life and uh, the fact that cities can be a place to really <clears throat> make amazingly good and productive things occur, um, they've gotten a bad rap and they are identified as places of congestion and negativity and problems. And that's not the case. People come to cities to solve problems. They come to cities to be, in, to be uh, reborn, to be seen differently, to start new lives, to get jobs and, and to, um, to make, make a difference. So I just want to say how happy we are that you shared that. I appreciate the understanding in your bones about belonging. So let me ask you about the beautiful hair, the curly girls that we've discussed, and how your hair, which I know is a very sensitive issue for many women, and especially many um, African-American women who have been told they needed to fix it or change it or do something with it, <clears throat> that it wasn't lovable as it was. Uh, but how did you learn about belonging and how did your hair kind of bring light to that personally? Probably about 20 years ago, I had an experience that I would wish on no one. Oh, and that is true confessions. <laughs> that is, we had a fire in our home, mm -hmm. and it was caused by a curling iron. 
and me being the only female in the house, it was on me. And what I realized at that time, as I grew up here in the great city of Seattle, I grew up to assimilate. I grew could you up, explain? Could you explain to those of people who are listening or watching who might not know what you mean by that in that context? What I mean by assimilate is the dominant culture is put at the top, and we do everything we can to emulate the dominant. Blend in. Blend in. Don't cause waves. Okay. Keep your head down. And on some level, if your culture doesn't fit within the dominant culture, your culture takes a back seat. Right. And in this culture, the dominant culture had blonde, straight hair or? or blonde or brunette straight. Blonde, blonde, brunette, straight hair. Okay. Or red. Yeah. What I realized when I came to grips with what happened in the fire was that, hmm, I did all of this work to make my hair and my appearance pleasing to someone else and not to myself. Big revelation. It was a huge revelation. And it forwarded me to a point where acceptance was more than important. It was crucial. I didn't belong to myself. Right. You had abandoned yourself on some I level, which I have to say, when I got to that realization, it was huge. So abandoning the self is something many people realize they've done <laughs> at some point in time. I don't want to say it was you. <laughs> I've been there. So you had that epiphany, like I let myself down by doing this. And here's an example of how ridiculous it was because look, it, it put us in harm's way. And I let myself down in another way is that in my faith, my hair, my hair, my body, my life is a gift from God. So if I'm putting it down, God gave me these curls. <laughs> Why am I trying to change them? Well, they look beautiful. I love your crown of curls <laughs> with the magnificent uh, bows and ribbons. Always, it's a crown of beauty. So, yes, yeah, so now I wear my crown every day and I accept and am grateful for the gifts that I have been given. And the gifts are, are many. Right. So, belonging to yourself again, belonging, having that experience of belonging. Well, you know what's so interesting, Michelle? People have always come to me because I have the curls. <laughs> That's why with the curly girls. Um, <clears throat> and they say to me with such conviction, oh my God, you must hate your curls. 
And I look at them and I go, no, I happen to like my girls. And it's easy. I, I, you know, for me, it was like, oh, I just do this when I, I just was easy hair. Other things you have to deal with, but sometimes some things work. And for me, my hair was just like, I loved it. And it was interesting and it was dynamic. But so many people were very disappointed when I didn't hate them because they would say to me over and over again, and this was just amazing to me. Well, most people hate what they've got. <laughs> this is what I was told by many people who came over to ask me about my curls. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I heard it from more than one person. Like they, there was like this little secret club of people who secretly knew that everybody hated the hair they got. <laughs> I thought, how sad. And I think that's what you're talking about, that level of dis, you know, disrespect for oneself and the variety and the beauty of the variety that we exactly. have as human beings. Exactly. And when, what the fire allowed me to be was more authentic. Mm -hmm. And when I show up authentic, it doesn't mean that everybody is impressed or loves me or what have you. No, it's being true to oneself is such a gift. How does that help your work at the foundation? Because I know that you launched a um, the program there recently, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Initiatives, in accord with you know a phenomenally gifted team. I am so pleased, and I know that there's been some fresh faces, and it's a very exciting time at the foundation. How has this informed some of the, the things that you've learned and done there and, and seen in the community? Being authentic allows me to speak truth to power. And when one has grown up assimilating, and if you will, being the good person that follows all the rules, well, the rules are changing. And some of those rules never should have been rules in the first place. And Michelle, even by following the rules, it didn't matter. Many people were still hurt and harmed. Okay, Absolutely. just had to say that. So following the rules was not enough for a lot of people. And it's not. We, to be we, authentic. To be authentic, to be true to yourself, to be true to the creator that made you <laughs> is a huge gift to yourself, but also is a huge gift to the world. Mm -hmm. And so what I hope that I am bringing to the foundation is to create is to maintain an even better a place where people feel the connection they feel that they belong and they feel that people believe in them not just in words but in action integrity thought word indeed i love it so <clears throat> there's a lot of wonderful things happening there um, but you do some other wonderful things i know that you're part of a singing group that you and your husband your husband is a jazz musician as well as a 
a litigator or not a prosecutor. <laughs> Excuse me, Michael. But, um, but wonderfully um, exciting way of expressing all of this authenticity. So there's a lot of, of great things that, um, tell me a little bit about your mentoring. I would love to hear about any of those examples because what you're talking about in the belonging and the um, being authentic and speaking truth respectfully as, as we do to power, um, where is that? I know there's a lot of mentoring involved in your life. Uh, how does it show up there, the sense of belonging? How do you impart that to, to your associates? I have been privileged of having incredible mentors, incredible coaches. And each one of them has been unique in their own way. And they were comfortable in their own skin. And that to me is the most attractive quality for any human being. <laughs> when I meet someone who is comfortable with their own skin, they feel that they have nothing to prove. They are so attractive. Confident. Confident and yeah. not only confident within themselves, but also willing to give. Be generous. Yes, yes. And so I know that the successes that I've had in my life I stand on huge shoulders. I did not get here by myself. But, and you're passing it along. So my question was about the people you're passing it along to. Oh, the University of Washington, my alma mater. I have been a part of the ABS, the Association of Black Business Students. The Association of Black Business Students. I won't say for how many years, but for a number of years. And it is my opportunity and my honor to, whenever they call, to show up. Because having role models is so critical for young people. To be able to talk to someone who has been there and to hear not only their words of wisdom, but also where they failed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And being able to chart one's course, knowing that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And that somebody believes in them. And that someone believes in them and, if, and that someone who looks like them. So, they can believe what either I am saying or any of my mentors have said. So to be able to look at a young person and see sparks of creativity and tell them, no, you do not have to simulate you need to show up and be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Ask me why I know this. <laughs> and people tell them where I erred. Right. How I turned my own trajectory around in order to be 
as authentic as I know how to be right now, mm-hmm. which will in 10 years will be even better. But where we are, <laughs> we're all learning and growing. I love it. So one of the things about what we do at VAST is we talk about positive imagination. So stimulating someone's positive imagination is a gift. And it doesn't happen. People are a little, they're either cynical, they're skeptical. Skepticism is healthy. Cynicism is, no, you're not going to convince me. It's okay. We all have those places in our lives. But the positive imagination, the opportunity to see oneself up there and to see how comfortable someone else is, that is essential for children to see astronauts and to see engineers and to see Katherine Johnson, NASA named the building after her. <laughs> she got us back from the moon. How, what a delightful uh, surprise for all those young African-American, uh, you know, STEM su- students, <laughs> young ladies. Like, oh, (laughs) and that's that spark of recognition is also has to do with the belonging. Yes. When you belong, you can look at someone and go, I can do that. Or maybe I can do that. Or maybe I could consider that instead of having no hope. Dimming one's light. And not knowing that you really do have a light that this world absolutely critically needs. And it doesn't need to look like somebody else's light. Absolutely, I I can't agree with you more. One of the greatest honors I have in working with people is seeing their magnificence before they do, and then revealing it, helping them reveal it to themselves, (laughs) which is like the most wonderful love affair. Uh, I think Whitney Houston in singing, you know, the greatest love said that learning to love oneself is the greatest love of all. Yes. And so, when, and when I love myself, it doesn't matter what other people think. Right. That, that's another part of belonging is belonging to yourself that you are sovereign. You've taught me that. <laughs> we we're teaching each other but thank you i have to say sovereignty is is it's hard earned in this world not because it's not available it's hard earned because it takes great courage to to see oneself as as magnificent or divine or beautiful or perfectly imperfect before the rest of the world does. <laughs> Eccentricity. Uh, so let me ask you another idea that we've discussed. You know, we talk about loving oneself and sovereignty, and you're also someone who's a real staunch supporter of asking for help or including others, or finding expertise, being willing to admit mistakes. You and I have had conversations about great leadership and how if you can't admit that you made a mistake, you're not going to get very far in the world with people. You have to admit, hey, I didn't know. (laughs) I'm sorry, how can we fix it? And then everybody rushes in to be heroes because people are heroic when given the opportunity. So let's talk a little bit about belonging and asking for help. How do you see that in the current situation? People are coming out of the COVID quarantine period. 
that's when we're taping this particular episode. How do you see asking for help as part of our um, transition to a renaissance, a new era in, in the world and in community? I would say another epiphany that I've had in my life has been the need to ask for help and to receive it graciously. As an African-American woman, often we are afraid to ask for help because it could come in the form of harm. It could come in the form of discrimination. And it could come in the form of being put down because of being a different culture in this realm we call the United States of America. May I so add, may I add for, for our listeners that I've recently in my reading and research and study have learned about the medical abuses of the African-American community and yes. I, the Tuscaloosa insanity, the eugenics horrors, the doctors deciding in certain parts of the country after an African-American woman had a baby to just sterilize her without permission. And, and this is, you know, in the past. And I, I'm, I can understand not discussing these things, but I'm learning about the depth of this kind of betrayal. So I want to just bring that to the attention of other people who are just learning and educating themselves about the reality of what our neighbors and, fam and, and community members go through. So asking for help came at a really huge price from people who were supposed to provide it. <laughs> so you have to overcome that and, and figure out how to navigate that if you're, if you're a person, a minority BIPOC person or a person of who doesn't feel they fit in. Exactly, exactly. So where dominant culture asking for help may be as natural as breathing. Going to the bank, point. getting a mortgage, getting the doctor, saying my heart has a pain or I'm in pain. Uh, the doctors do not rate African-American pain as much pain as strange, really strange differences in the way people have been treated. Yes. And even on the job, oftentimes when you're asking for help, it can come back negatively. Even if you're trying to demonstrate that you're trying to learn or that you care about the outcome. So basically, whenever we speak, it's a risk. And based on the mentors and the shoulders that I stand on, I have to take that risk. That's called bravery. My parents took that risk. Their lives were threatened on more than one occasion because of the bank. Standing up for the community. And so if they could do it and not only be 
risk psychological harm, but physical harm. Mm -hmm. Right. I have to be willing to at least deal with the psychological harm. Right. And when I'm willing to risk and trust in a process, I will say trust in a spiritual process, not necessarily a man-made process, the outcomes are much brighter. <laughs> and they are bright. You and I talk about a renaissance in the world right now and how much opportunity exists for people to reconnect and to create new opportunities and systems and ways of doing things. Um, how, do you, how do you see that happening? How do you envision what opportunities do you see before us? If COVID has taught us anything, it has taught us that this virus is no respecter of persons. It became global. and it affected all cultures. Those of us who chose to wake up to this reality have an opportunity to create a new reality. <laughs> I won't say normal because normal indicates what where we were in the past and I personally don't want to go there again. We can improve most assuredly. We can do better <laughs> in many places. And it really has taken all of us mm -hmm to get to the place where there is a vaccine. Oh. The numbers did start to come down because we were following and doing things together, i.e. belonging. It was belonging that has got us this far. Not hoarding, for only a certain group of people. And our heroes now are less about those people with huge resources. Our heroes are the grocery store clerks and the sanitation workers and those people who are putting themselves in harm. Like dental hygienist Susie, thank you, and Dr. Heron's office. Every day. To do what? To serve. Servant leadership is the new way. Servant leaders are our new heroes. They've been ignored in the past and it's their time to be recognized 
And the more servant leadership we see, the better our new reality will be. Thank you, Michelle. That's beautifully said. And it relates to kind-hearted power, that there's a certain power that um, I, I speak of, and it's kind-hearted, but boy, is it, it's potent. It, it brings us all along because this is a human condition. And as soon as we realize we need to solve this as a, as a, a human family on this planet, we will. That's what you said earlier about the virus. It showed us that we're a human family needing to work together. Well, let me ask you one more inquiry for today because I'm so excited. Thank you for everything. I mean, this has just been an amazing discussion um, about belonging, about culture, about the truth of authenticity. Um, I just, I'd like to ask you, hmm, if there was one thing that you would like everybody listening to remember, what would that be? It takes all kinds to run the creator's world. It takes all of us. Our creator didn't make all trees to look the same. Didn't make all blades of grass to look the same. Didn't make all flowers to look the same. But when we look out, especially now in early April and spring and flowers are blooming and trees are budding and it takes all of us. All of us play a part. And all of the curls play a part in a bigger head of hair. I love it. Thank you, Michelle, so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. Um, please check out the Seattle Foundation to learn about how they connect generous people with well-informed philanthropic strategies. They're about inclusion, they're about making a better culture in the city of Seattle and the region. And I have to say through my experience of, of the foundation, if you have resources that you'd like to see delivered um, to affect positive change in the community, please check them out. And uh, if you need any additional information about Michelle or uh, the Seattle Foundation, please go to Foundation, www.seattlefoundation.org. Thank you so much. And uh, we will be seeing you again, Michelle. I love the fact that the curly girls are just getting started. For over three decades, we have built vast around a simple premise that who I am and what I do matters. That's what Michelle was talking about. Who I am and what I do matters. By awakening the genius within, we better enrich our lives and the world around us. This idea reflects our commitment to imparting authenticity and practical optimism as an empowering perspective. It guides us to take responsibility for the life we create and the impact we have on those around us. By acknowledging this, we can amplify our success, kindness, and influence in the world.
If you would like to become an original thinker, creating a quality of life beyond your imagination, please subscribe to our newsletter at www.vastinstitute.com and listen to our other podcasts. Uh, take a look at Michelle in, um, at the foundation and the work that she is doing. And please know that we are here to see the best in humankind and share that with you. Have a great day and a wonderful life.